Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy. And Masha. And this week, we're talking about Wag the Dog. Wag the Dog is a 1997 political satire that centers around a political spin doctor and a Hollywood producer who fabricate a war in order to cover up a presidential sex scandal. First of all, solid. Uh, solid summary. Yeah, thank you. Uh, second of all, I didn't know they were making these in the 90s. What are you talking about? I don't know. I got like intense scandal vibes. Oh, I don't know if you watched that show. Not really, but I know what you mean. But like that political spin, but like this dark. Yeah, you know? yeah. You, I, I remember the '90s being like a happy time. Like I didn't realize. <laughs> I mean, you were like, <laughs> eight years old or That's under true. throughout the entire length of the '90s. That's so. very true. <laughs> I remember the '90s to be a happy. <laughs> time. <laughs> so it was directed by Barry Levinson and written by Hillary Hankin and David Mamet. Uh, and stars Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Anne Heche, uh, and everybody else in the world. Everybody. Woody Harrelson, William H. Macy. John Cho, apparently. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. not starring. Oh, no, yeah. 800th build. Yeah. But that's crazy. Yeah, there's so many people in this movie. Yeah, it's insane. You can't, you can't list the whole cast. I, I think this is my first Dustin Hoffman movie. Are you I, actually, like, <laughs> ever? I'm trying to... I know who Dustin Hoffman is. I think this is the same scenario, like or the same situation that I had with John Clooney, George Clooney. I yeah. just don't... Re- I know who he is, but wow. I've never seen a movie that he starred in. So you never saw Rain Man? No. I know you've been wanting to show you me never that. never saw Tootsie? Nope. You ever saw like Meet the Fockers? Like you never saw something like that? Like uh, something that was like later? N- you know I didn't watch Meet the Fockers. I don't know. Maybe I just because you didn't like the first one doesn't mean you didn't see the second one. If I did, I I don't remember it. Not even The Graduate, Kramer versus Kramer, nothing. No. Wow. All right. Well, we got a lo- we got a lot of episodes ahead of us then. Let's start <laughs> Dustin Hoffman because he's amazing. That's very true. That's great. Your first Dustin Hoffman. Well, I'm glad. I think this is a good a good start yeah and kicking off that so yeah this movie has two oscar nominations to its name and one is for dustin hoffman mm-hmm. for best supporting character or best lead actually yeah best lead okay and best uh, adapted screenplay for the writers also oh right uh, because this is based on a book yeah i'm gonna get into all that but it's very very loosely based on a book called american hero by larry Brinehart. like the very core idea of the movie is based on it but mm-hmm. everything else is original so Cool. It's it's pretty unique to to the screenplay. Awesome. Yeah, but like I said, it came out in 1997. Uh, it had a budget of 15 million and ended up grossing about 64 million dollars. Wow. And you know we can talk about this a lot if we'd like, but the one of the main reasons this movie was such a hit is because if you think about the time that it came out, I want to say two months after its release mm-hmm. is when the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke with President Clinton. Wow. So it doesn't take a genius to connect real life events to the fictional events of this movie Ooh, in any way, right. shape, or form. I mean, what a jackpot they hit. Oh, it's so, insane. Like, <laughs> it's insane. How could they predict that that was going to happen? Yeah, and it's not even a sex scandal in the book. So it's it's not even like it was written years earlier and then it happened. Like they just th- came up with it for the movie and then wow. you know, right after, which is insane. And would I know the director? Barry Levinson? Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't know if you you would have seen a lot of his movies. But previous to this, some really big ones he did was uh, Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams. Okay. Did Young Sherlock Holmes. 
Hmm. I don't know if you know that one. Um, I, I I know these movies. I've just never seen them. I don't. I actually never saw it, so I don't know if people like it. But I know it's famous because I definitely know what it is, and I've seen the cover a thousand times. But you've ever seen the cover for the movie Toys with Robin Williams? No. Okay. Well, he made that. Two Robin Williams movies. Yeah, he likes to work with a lot of the same people, and I think he produced. I think he produced Tootsie, which was one of uh, Dustin Hoffman's early hits. So I think uh, you know he's he's often kind of. As most directors, kind of works with the same people a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, he directed Rain Man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Cool. So, yeah. So, with the writing on this, I don't know. I assume... Are you familiar with David Mamet? Are you... That name sounds so familiar. He's, like, one of the most famous, like, modern mm-hmm. play writers and, and screenwriters around today. Of course. Um, <laughs> you know, he wrote, like, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. He's, like, a very high-regarded modern kind of playwright screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is the first one that pops into my head that, they, that he's done. But I don't know if you've ever heard of, like, American Buffalo or the play Race. He wrote mm. that. Uh, the Untouchables. He wrote that screenplay. And I've heard of the Untouchables. Yeah, yeah. Um, so super famous. So the first credited writer, Hillary Hankin, she wrote the original draft of the script, which was a pretty literal adaptation of the book. Mm-hmm. I, I guess she just got hired by the studio to adapt this book because they wanted to make it. The book came out in 1993, and after they bought it from her, that's when Barry Levinson got on board, and Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman, and then they had David Mamet do a rewrite and then basically he rewrote like I said almost the entire thing he kept the core idea the original plot of the book was it was like a what if the government faked the desert storm crisis in the early 90s in order to get President Bush reelected mm. and you know he only made, had one term so it didn't happen so it was kind of like a, a what if scenario type thing Got and it. so that's what happens throughout the course of the book so that was her script and then he took that idea of like faking a, a military conflict to cover something else up and then ran with it and rewrote the entire thing to here and then it ended up being kind of controversial because because it was such an evident like a heavy rewrite and every single piece of dialogue was rewritten Barry Levinson and David Mamet kind of felt that they should he should have sole credit as the writer and Hillary Hankin shouldn't blah 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 went back and forth but eventually the Screenwriters Guild stepped in and they like showed their rules and it very clearly states that Whoever had the core idea, if they wrote a first draft and that was purchased, that they have to get first credit on the screenplay. Uh, so it went back and forth, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. <gasps> Drama. That was really the only bit of production kind of background I got on the movie. The rest was just like, and then we made a movie. Uh, Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how she feels about that. Yeah, I don't know. And as f- I looked at her IMDb, and as this was the last credited screenplay I saw listed in terms of movies that got made, mm-hmm. so I don't really know what happened after this. It sounds like somebody had to be fighting for her to get that main credit, right? Because it was the it people. Like- it was the Writers Guild of America, like because right. she was, you know, she's a member of the guild, and they just have rules where they're like, no, you can't shaft a writer. Yeah. So even though like she barely didn't write anything that we right. saw on screen. It's still because she wrote the first draft and like le- legally got speaking. it. I just feel like the Writers Guild, like there's so many scripts being written that somebody had to flag that to them. Oh, probably. For them to fight. Yeah. Who knows? So I'm just, but that's very interesting. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, and at this time, Barry Levinson was, you know, very established, as was David Mamet. It could have mm-hmm. been, you know, just like someone being like, I don't want the big guy to step on the little, you know what I mean? Like right. they were more famous that's than true. Hillary Henkin and are to this day. So it could have just been someone who saw it as like a, like, mm-hmm. no, fuck this. We're not going to let like the big dog step on us or so i'm projecting i didn't yeah. read that anywhere but that's just like how i kind of looked at it interesting because um, i could see somebody just being like you know what we got the power to fight this let's let's fight it right 
because I imagine it's, it goes the other way more often than not, where some you know, if a someone of the status of a Steven Spielberg could probably decide who gets on the credits and things like that. Since we're talking about the script, I was laughing out loud because thinking about the typical length of a movie script, I think is what ninety pages of page per minute, right? Something like that, yeah. So. so because everybody in this movie talks so fast, yep. there's no way this movie, this no. script was, you know, the I, screenplay was like a hundred pages. Yeah, and it's such a dialogue heavy, you know, movie in general. So yeah, again, I'm only imagine the script's yeah. probably way longer than yeah, the, it's like the amount of minutes. Yeah, like three hundred pages, and they're like, we need this movie to be an hour and forty minutes. I was shocked at how short it actually was because mm-hmm. my memory was that it was like a long kind of like not yeah. an epic, but just something that really took us some yeah. time to get through. It could have been long. Yeah. I I wonder if, like, the director was like, did he want everyone to talk fast? Is there, like, did Aaron Sorkin, like, I don't know. He wasn't around. No. Whatever. No, he he was. He was, was, in, was in the West Wing Oh, wait, Wing what am I this? talking about? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking in the 80s again. I'm in no, the last week. This is 1997. Yeah. Yeah, Sorkin was around. But, yeah, this felt very Sorkin-esque. Yes. Uh, I have to bet. But, yeah, before <laughs> we kind of start chewing into and stuff. Sorry. So, I kind of feel like I know the answer. But, Masha, what did you know about <laughs> Wag the Dog before uh, we watched it yesterday? Uh, I, nothing. Nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I got the signature, uh, Masha. Where do you find these movies after the credits rolled last Where night? Where the hell? Wag the dog. I've never even heard of that. <laughs> I was like, what are we watching here? All I knew is that I was coming into a movie that you were inspired to choose after us watching Dave last week. Okay. So, so I guess then do you think see where that came from oh yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely and it kind of we're sort of in line with like the whole conspiracy political conspiracy yeah as soon as we were like 20 minutes into david so i was already thinking i was like if she's gonna do a movie about politics maybe i'll do one too that i find fun yeah and then uh and we're still in january yeah exactly so i was just like and then it's 20 minutes into Dave. i was like yeah these are gonna match perfectly together yeah i like (laughs) the match and yeah, I really don't have anything to say on that front. So <laughs> you have no—you've never heard of Barry Levinson. You barely know David Mamet. You've never seen a Dustin Hoffman movie, right? So I don't know Robert De Niro. Yeah. <laughs> I got you excited. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I was excited uh, to see Robbie, uh, Bobby. I imagine you don't know who Anne Heche is either. Uh, no, okay. I've never seen her before. Should I know her? She was pretty famous in the nineties. Oh, she she had a, she had a brief period of stardom. Okay. She played Janet Lee's role in the remake of Psycho. In 1990. Mm, I could see that. Yeah. I was excited to briefly see the guy from The Office, who I know has been in so many other things. Oh, David Koechner? <laughs> yeah. He is. For like, a he, brief moment. He's in it for like half a second. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you asked me to pull who I was excited yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So that's nice. what I did. Cool, cool. What about you, Andy? When did you come across this film? So this is a movie I love, but unlike a lot of the other ones, this isn't one that I've seen a thousand times. I've actually only seen this once, and it was in college in a Whoa. film class. Couldn't even tell you what the class was at this point, because uh, I took so fucking many while I was, you know, just I was like they all blend together and it's all kind of the same curriculum and yeah, kind of a waste of time. Damn. But I digress. <laughs> so yeah, we watched it in one of my film classes, and I, I kind of same thing. I went into it, and never even heard of it. You know, but we were young in '97, and this definitely wasn't a political, Whoa. an adult political drama with kind of like. A smart satire bite wasn't really what I was looking at in 1997. You know, I completely forgot you were taking a risk with this one. It yeah. could have been a love what I loved. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely remembered it 
differently than kind of what we saw yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, so we can get into some of that when we go through the movie. But uh, yeah, so I saw it only once in class and I just remember really liking it. Um, especially in the kind of class, you never really know what you were going to get. Most movies that we ended up watching throughout all those classes I took were worthwhile. But in terms of entertainment value, they varied a lot. Mm-hmm. Some were very dry. Sometimes when you're watching kind of, you know, Russian silent films about the proletariat from the 30s, you're not at the edge of your seat eating popcorn. Uh, so I remember this being one of the, f- the few times that I could pinpoint where it was like a fast paced, a little bit more modern kind of made with a broad audience sensibility. So you, it was kind of it wasn't as slow and dragging and like kind of the other sometimes like high art is very good, but you have to appreciate it from a certain angle. This was kind of just like a movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, we don't watch a lot of these. Like, you know what I mean? So I was, I, I remember it stuck with me even more because of that. But, you know, I loved Robert De Niro, loved Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. plus all the side cast. And it wouldn't have been too many years after things like Anchorman. So seeing David Koechner and a lot of these side people who would become famous later was real yeah. exciting. Because I saw this, you know, 13 years after it came out. So all those people came. But yeah, I just thought it was really smart. I'd never really seen a movie like exactly like this and unlike today when i saw it i feel like the terms like fake news and all that stuff weren't as prevalent and also yeah yeah, just even obviously there was social media but it wasn't the level of what we're looking at today of just faking articles faking headlines faking pictures faking memes where today i just i think unlike other movies that are so involved in the moment that they came out they might lose their relevance over time this one, because of the subject matter, I think, and the way history kind of unfolded. Right. It not only stayed relevant, but might even be more relevant <laughs> today than it was back then. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of it. So, yeah, I never, and I never watched it again since then. I always remembered it. I always thought the title was very clever. And so, clever. so it just it was one that I never forgot. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just something like, oh, I saw something with college and just for some reason never got back to it. I definitely have thought about it a lot of times, especially since 2016 to 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, it's come into my mind a lot, especially the editing bay sequence, which we'll get to later. Yeah. But I remember that stuck in my head a lot because even home editing wasn't as sophisticated when I was in college as it is now. So it was still kind of a big deal to kind of see those kind of things on a screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it just always stuck in my brain. And I always was like, I remember loving it. But I do remember not finding it as funny back then as I do now, which I think probably says more about me than it does about the movie. Mm. But I remember it kind of like shocked me a little bit when I saw it the first time. And while I did find a lot of like the things in the movie funny, the performances and the way things laid out, like the overall idea of the movie kind of like stuck with me in a real dark way. And I was just like, man, I, this is kind of fucked up, you know? Right. Like, So I always remembered this as more of a drama with like a, with, like, a comedic tinge. And then now that we watched it last night, I was like, no, this is like a comedy. It's just a very, it's a very dark comedy. Yeah. But this entire movie from beginning to end is a comedy. So that's when I was like, I'm picking a movie like Dave, but, you know, not really. Because for some reason I was picturing a West Wing-esque kind of drama. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, huh? I don't know. Man. I'll see what you think. But I took it this time where I was like, no, this movie's going for laughs more than it's going for anything. But it's very dark laughs. It's fun. You love dark comedy. Yeah, it's funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> where the hell do you find these movies? Uh, I yeah, just told yeah. you. <laughs> paid an exorbitant amount of money to sit in a room and, and watch it with a bunch do you, of people. Do you even remember why 
I mean, I I know you said you didn't really remember, like, because you took so many classes, but yeah. why this movie in particular was brought up in your class, Ooh. like what you were looking for, or why you guys were watching it. No. Oh, okay. I do not. I'm pretty <laughs> sure the only other thing I think I remember is that we also watched The Player in this class, which was another movie that I couldn't believe I had never seen, mm-hmm. which I am kind of guessing by I've, your face. Yeah, I've never heard of The it's Player. Got, it's got Tim Robbins, hmm. but it's another kind of like Hollywood critique kind of, I don't know, it, it's it's kind of has in the same vein of this. Okay. So for some reason, I, can, I remember being in that same kind of big lecture hall, mm-hmm. watching both these movies. Most of our film classes were in small classrooms. A couple of them were in lecture halls, and these I remember watching both of these in a lecture hall. So I kind of want to say it's the same class. Okay. Doesn't answer your question, but that's what I remember. (laughs) But I am surprised that you've never, because I know when you lived with, you know, your brother and sister-in-law, you would watch movies sort of like on a monthly by like weekly basis. Month. Yeah. Well, every month we would do like, we would alternate someone picking a movie and everyone has to watch it without complaining. I'm kind of surprised that was never brought up. So. It was always Pretty on the cool. list. It just never, I don't know, it just never made it. We, hmm. we, we, cut off, we cut off the movie months short before we got to it. All right. Oh, Hilary Hankin, that original writer, she wrote uh, Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. <gasps> Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Yeah. I love cool. Do you think that Martin Scorsese was sad that he didn't direct this movie? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> he could have he got in. I was, that was actually one of my notes. Like, I'm surprised Martin Scorsese didn't direct this, this movie. Was right, this was right at the start of the Scorsese-De Niro dry period. Mm-hmm. Right after, oh, right after okay. Casino. For no reason, they just didn't work together until The Irishman. Like, oh. It was almost two decades after 1995 before they worked together. Interesting. But that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the oldest I've seen De Niro in a movie besides The Intern. I don't know that I've watched many De Niro movies other than like Meet the Parents. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, I that's, older, than, that's older than this. Yeah. yeah. Or like he's old. It's a yes. newer movie, so he's older. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, I, I have, but no. his output definitely isn't the same mm-hmm. post Meet the Parents. Yeah. Uh, not saying he doesn't make, he didn't make any good movies after that, but. They were way more few and far between than the old days. Mm. Uh, and then nowadays, you know, I don't even know what the hell that war on Grandpa is on Netflix, but it doesn't look any good. Oh. It's it's him and a little boy. It's like rated G and they they both have like bruises. Like I don't, mm. I don't know. I guess the, he babysits and the kid goes wacky. I'll stick with the intern. I'm not watching the intern either. I don't even know. I don't know why you bring up the intern all the time. Like it's a seminal Robert De Niro movie. <laughs> I I would I would imagine most people listening either don't remember the intern or haven't seen well, it. I don't even love the intern. It's, like I just like bringing it up because you know like Robert De Niro's career and you've watched so many great <laughs> movies he's been in that uh, I love to annoy you and be like, <laughs> you know, the intern's great. Yeah, you'd be like, well, I mean, minus the intern, I, he hasn't done anything good since <laughs> you know. <laughs> you should, like you're steaming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got it. Oh, nice. All right. Well, with that besmirching of Robert De Niro out of the way, (laughs) uh, would you like to jump into the non-spoiler section? Let's do it. So the film opens immediately with some text on the screen where we get the short little, I don't even know what you would call it, poem or just proverb or what. Yeah. But it says, why does the dog wag its tail? Because a dog is smarter than its tail. If the tail were smarter, it would wag the dog. Yeah. 
So I thought it was funny because this was one instance where on this movie, you actually told me not to tell you the title of the movie. We usually keep everything under wraps except for the title. Yeah. And until we watch it. But this one, you didn't even know that. So I was just like, oh, that's funny. She's not going to get that. Like if you if you go in knowing you're going to see Wag the Dog, it has a little bit more significance that it ends on that. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny that it would just be like, okay. Yeah. But it did provide a little bit of insight about sort of how this, what this movie was going to be in that. You're going to manipulate or try and be smarter than whatever situation well, yeah, it's, it's like, going to be. Yeah. You know, like. Or something smaller is going to control something bigger. Exactly. You know, so the, the tail is going to wag the dog. Yeah. I mean, I'm already going in blind. You already got me 80% of the time because the movies you choose, I never hear of. So yeah. it's like, might as well <laughs> go the extra 20% and not know the title as well. I like it. <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah, and then immediately we just dive headfirst into exactly what this movie is going to be. There's really no wasted time in the beginning. We open up on De Niro's character, uh, Conrad Breen, mm-hmm. uh, kind of learning that... If that's even his real name. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, kind of learning that they, the White House has a scandal on their hands. The president got caught in a uh, with a sexual affair with a minor, mm. and that uh, he's got a basically fix it right away yeah um and it also starts really one of the running jokes and a lot of running jokes this movie but uh that i liked with him is that he never really tells anyone exactly what his job is and we never really know yeah he seems to be just kind of like some kind of fixer you know (laughs) absolutely it just seems like if you know too much that's not good yeah like (laughs) he's he's doing you a favor by keeping you in the dark right when it started i knew i was gonna at least have one Marshall Point on my hand because they do some good old fashioned walk and talk, political walk oh, and talk. Yeah, gotta and love you love you love a group of three or four discussing political matters <laughs> while walking towards the camera. That's I, mo- that's moving backwards. I always wonder how people who actually have these jobs, like how do they take take this, like take on them? You yeah. know what I mean? It seems a little crazy <laughs> that uh, most of your meetings happen in between places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even when I was working in the office, people, yes, walk and talk, but not that fast. Like, yeah. I don't, it's No, the way, it's, so the way it's, it shows up in movies like this, it's, it's implied that they're so busy that they have to get this in while they're walking from one place to the other because otherwise they wouldn't be able to get it in. So right. it's always just like downloading as much information as we can before we go to the next thing. <laughs> it's very weird, but I am always inspired by like shows and movies that have this. Uh-huh. Like, I just watched Industry on HBO. Like, I just, it just inspires me to work. I don't yeah. know why. It just <laughs> does that. So, yeah, I was really excited to see it in this movie. I will say, in the beginning, it did take me a while to get into the movie because I think I was taken aback by how fast everyone talks. And I just felt like I was playing catch up from the very beginning. They kind of throw you into the situation. They do, yeah. And this is a movie where I would almost recommend throwing on some subtitles just to kind of yeah. help you get through it. Oh, I almost asked. I know. <laughs> I thought about it, but we haven't done it yet on anything we've done for yeah. the podcast. So it just like felt weird. It was fine. You know, but yeah, they talk real fast and a lot of kind of real important plot points can come in real fast, like in that, and they're not kind of built up in a way other scripts might do yeah so it's yeah it's like we said earlier it's a very dialogue heavy movie but that room that they have this initial meeting in the hallway to the room sort of looked exactly like the hallway in dave 
where Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein are walking out to leave the White it House. Does. I was like, ooh, I wonder if it's if they use the same set, you know? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we did say, I did learn that they ended up using the Oval Office for like 25 years. It very well could So have it could have been yeah. the same one. Who knows? I don't know. That's hilarious. <laughs> but anyway. And to talk about like, the fast-paced nature of the dialogue and the pacing of the movie, which is also crazy, I learned, is they, they filmed this entire movie in 29 days. What? Which is pretty crazy for a movie like this. Wow. Yeah, and they shot it so fast because uh, Dustin Hoffman and Barry Levinson were working on this movie called Sphere that would come out the year after this, mm. which is a very big budget kind of spaceshipy movie. <laughs> also uh, big budget, you mean? Because this fifty million is not fifteen, so. huh? Fifteen million. Yeah, that's a big budget. Eh. Wow. For this many movie stars. I don't think so. I guess. I guess. We just talked about on Home Alone how they, they had like a, a 12 million budget and it was so small that they had to up it to like 14 uh, just to get that movie made. That's true. It's really, it's not that much money. So uh, yeah, they they were just like on a break of making that movie and they like made this during that break. So they just kind of like hurriedly shot this and stuff. It's pretty crazy. Wow. So yeah, like I said earlier, we learned that the kind of president is in amid the sex scandal. They have about a day and a half or so. Uh, before it breaks in the in the papers, mm-hmm. the president's in China, and then that's when we see Robert De Niro just immediately start formulating the story. And it always blows my mind that like this kind of job where you have to think that fast, yeah. and also anything that you like think of has so many repercussions going forward. It's just insane. Like you know, he comes up with the faking the war before they even get off like the plane that they're going on. You know yeah. what I mean? It was crazy. I can't see myself being in that kind of position because it's not only that his choices have repercussions it's also like he's spending this is an expensive idea it's not free for them to you know fake a war yeah those ideas cost money the fact that he even asked for 20 grand at the very top and like they just handed him all cash i'm like i can't i can't yeah, and I can't, and just also like you're never not working. Like right. you are just twenty four. You have to be super obsessed with what you do yeah. and enjoy it, which I think every character in this movie does. Yeah, exactly. They're they're very. These are very like specific types of people. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? They're so um, fascinating. And then yeah, so then very quickly we then just introduced to Dustin Hoffman's character, who's a big time movie producer. And then we get kind of the scene that sells the whole movie. It's in, it's in the trailers and all that of, of you want me to produce a war? You know, because <laughs> he's a very famous movie producer, but uh, they want him to just basically fabricate an entire war to keep the American people preoccupied with that. Right. And that, so they don't give any mention to the sex scandal. The Gulf War, smart bomb falling down the chimney, 2,500 missions a day, 100 days. One video of one bomb, Mr. Moss, the American people bought that war. Mm-hmm. War is show business. You want me to produce your war? Not a war. It's a pageant. We need a theme, a song, some visuals. We need, you know, it's a pageant. I wish that they didn't. I I feel like Dustin Hoffman could have reprised this role in like an episode of Entourage. Oh, yeah. Like I just fit really well in. Yeah, he's so good at that. Um, So apparently a lot of people have pointed the comparison that he's playing a version of a real life producer named robert evans um he i actually saw an interview where he flat out said that's not true but i don't know (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people have said it and then i checked out some robert evans interviews from back in the day and like the way he looked his glasses Uh were the same his hair was the same 
similar mannerisms I noticed at Dustin Hoffman. And then I looked at the movies he's produced, and it's everything from The Godfather to so many famous movies. But one of them was The Marathon Man, which was a famous-ass Dustin Hoffman movie from the 70s. Oh. So I was like, it's not crazy that Dustin Hoffman wouldn't know this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I started an interview where he said he based it more just on general Hollywood producers he's worked with. Right. And he flat out said in the interview, like, it's not him, but I don't know. It's... Do you think if we took a survey in Hollywood of all the Hollywood producers, if they would list this as their number one movie of all time? Because it's an ode to producers. It really is an ode to producers. <laughs> like, he's, yeah, like, he he's always just, it's how good he is at his job that always saves the day for these characters. Yeah. Whether or not it's saving the day for the American people is another argument. But Of course. <laughs> but even at the very beginning, like he mentions how the producers never get credit for what they do. Yeah. Like, who do you think produces this stuff? <laughs> the producers. That is true too. As like as someone who like likes movies as much as I do, and I'm always looking into even on this when I list a movie, I'm like, this is who wrote it, this is who directed it, this is who starred in it. I'd never go like this is the production company that put right. it out, or like this is a, a Scott Rudin film. Like, even me, like, I, I don't really give any credit to the producers. Yeah. We're just fucked up. When he was like, there aren't any awards for producers, I was like, there should be an award for producers. <laughs> this this is a, this is how fucked up it is. When I was doing research for this uh, movie, I was reading IMDb trivia, and one of them was, was like, this is the third or fourth time uh, Dustin Hoffman and Barry Levinson worked together, and they listed all the times, and one of them was Tootsie. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't know Tootsie was a Barry Levinson movie, and I clicked it, and then it, it wasn't. He just produced it, and then I was like, oh, whatever, that's bullshit. They didn't work together. Aww. So <laughs> I just like... like Come on. I just totally didn't count it as, as them working together because it wasn't director and actor. So, yeah. You're part of the problem. Oh, big time. <laughs> Although, at that one point in the movie, he does say there's, you know, there's no Academy Award for producing, which I guess technically is true. But if your movie wins Best Picture, it's the producer who takes home the Oscar. So, like, I, I was like, yes, he's technically true, but he also gets the top prize if the top prize comes to him. Right. Yeah, it comes to the movie that he made. So, what's crazy about this whole, like, plot and how he said it mirrors what happens with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Because I was so young at that time, I obviously I knew about the sex scandal. Like, it doesn't matter how young you were in the 90s, you remember that shit. But I didn't know about, like, the actual things that went on immediately after that. So a couple of days after Bill Clinton finally admitted to the sex scandal, like because he remember he denied it for a while, like a couple of days after that, he immediately went on TV and announced two big missile strikes against Afghanistan and Sudan. So immediately people were just like, are you wagging the dog on us? Like, you know, like, are you trying to, you know, this and that? And then during the impeachment proceedings, there was uh, there was another one where they bombed Iraq and then towards the end of his election, when things were just winding down, then they... They had a bombing campaign against Yugoslavia. So it was just... That's crazy. It was so... It wasn't even just the fact that this is a movie about a sex scandal and a president. It was the fact that immediately after he did all these things. And then it's it's been in the news for... Like, people have been saying, oh, they're trying to wag the dog. Like, it became... It was already... A, that Wag the dog was already a term before this movie. It didn't make it up. Mm. But it, it became, I think it became widely used in, like, political terms of, of kind of... Interesting. Like, oh, this they're... is the first time I've heard that term. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, now it's really old school. Yeah, and then they hire Dustin Hoffman. They tell him to basically they want to produce the war. You was the first time viewer of this. Where were you? Where was your head? Because now you kind of see where this movie was going and kind of knowing the world we live in today. Like, well, well, I don't know. How did you take this stuff in? I thought it was funny that you would get an actual movie producer to produce like what your whatever your vision is. Like I, I, I actually think that's a very clever idea because I think 
you know, once you're a movie producer, you can kind of produce anything. So it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then it got me thinking, well, how many things like I wonder if this gave anybody any ideas and if there are any real stories about producers, you know, transitioning over to politics. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I liked it. I I think the only thing missing from Dustin Hoffman's character was the cocaine because this guy never <laughs> slept. No. He never slept yeah, like, the whole movie. Even Robert De Niro, there was a couple of times where he like zed out while they were working. You know, he's like, I'm just going to go over here and take a nap. Right. You know, but not him. <laughs> he never slept. So but, that was my only question at the beginning here. Yeah. Um, but I did think that all of the personalities and producers that surrounded his character were also pretty fun. Um, you know, the other producers or great minds, as he says, yeah. that he brings in because he needs to be surrounded by smart people to like bounce ideas Yeah, like of. Dennis Leary's character and stuff like yeah, Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I liked, I liked seeing all those producers around him and them bouncing ideas off of each other. Which made me miss in-person brainstorms, but that's another story. <laughs> Some of the early dialogue that I liked, uh, especially like when I was talking about the first time I saw it, where it kind of, I took this movie a lot more seriously and I was just like, this is so it's fucked up, man, you know, uh -huh. <clears throat> was just like the way Robert De Niro was talking about how we don't, we never remember the wars, remember the photos of the wars, like we remember single moments, we don't remember what, we don't know what actually happened in any of these things, we yep. just, we remember whatever was brought back to us and showed to us. And I remember that just freaking me the fuck out as like an 18, 19 year old. Well, my thing from that whole sequence is the fact that they were all talking about how they don't vote. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was pretty funny. The one guy doesn't vote because he was like hurt by the the one time he voted and his person didn't win. Yeah, but it was for a baseball. Oh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah. even, it was like a vote <laughs> for your like, favorite player. It was probably yeah. like in a magazine or some shit. <laughs> I was like, guy. Would you vote for that person based on that commercial? You know I don't vote. Why don't you vote? Last time I voted, voted that one time, Major League Baseball, when they started the fans voting thing, and I voted for Boo Powell for first base. He didn't get in, and it, it just disappointed me. It stayed with me. I just, it's futile. That you, was it. You've never voted for president? No. Do you vote? No. no. I always vote for the Academy Awards, but I never win. Liz, do you vote? Mm. Do you vote? No, I don't vote, no. I don't like the rooms. Too claustrophobic. I can't vote in small places. It's also like that had a, another tinge of like darkness to it because we're basically in a room with these people who are influencing America more than anybody can or will. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't even vote. So voting is the one way where, you know, on paper, it gives every citizen a way to change America for the way that they think is better. Right. So by saying we all get to go out and vote, it makes us feel like we're participating in, in what's really and how this country works. And then we're showing that not only is that not true, the people who really have that power aren't even voting because they know how useless it is. Yeah. And and it also goes to, I don't know, I'm sure you noticed, but that they never, you never see the president's face. Mm -hmm. And even when he talks, it's always off camera or, or we don't hear his voice at all. Yeah, because it doesn't even matter. Exactly. Because <laughs> this movie isn't about, like, they were like, it, it doesn't matter who's in the presidency. And it's yeah. sim similar to Dave, they don't really even say if it's a Democrat or a Republican. Right. It's just the president, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you said this a little bit already, but the fact that Dustin Hoffman isn't even concerned about whether this president is somebody he is wants to work for. Like, he's not drawn in by the fact that he's on the good side or the bad side. No, no, He's he drawn in by the fact that he has the power to produce something that will influence him. Yeah. Like, that's... I mean, are there good guys in this movie? I don't think no. so. Yeah, I, I think part of that too is that it's like the script is a commenting on like the whole lack of morality in Hollywood where right. you'll do anything for money or for stardom or ego. Mm. And especially with Dustin Hoffman's character, we'll see that the whole 
Hollywood ego, mm-hmm. you know, be the thing that really fucks him up. But yeah, once Robert De Niro officially meets Dustin Hoffman's character, who I've looked up now, his name is Stanley, they kind of just get right into it. Like as soon as Stanley sees how much power, you know, Conrad actually has in terms of like how much influence he has on giving Stanley the power to make change Mm -hmm. or influence this whole scenario by doing like calling into the the press secretary i guess of the white house and like feeding right into his headpiece which i found really funny and then his response is he didn't sell it yeah (laughs) that right there shows you to our point earlier of these guys never not working loving Mm -hmm. their job like dustin Hoffman has to produce 24 7 so even that like he looked at that opportunity, he's like, "I'm gonna produce the secretary, press secretary's briefing." You know, yeah. like that's the, it's another thing. It's it's just another project to work on and put his, you know, like I I did that, right? Which I thought was really funny. So then immediately after that too, he also, you know, the phone rings and they say, "Oh, it's the president." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, one minute." And it just again <laughs> it goes to that point of like it, the president doesn't matter at all. Like yeah. he's just a figurehead, and <laughs> you know, um, and part of that the crew they assemble. So you know. They're, they're, they have to produce this the same way they would produce a movie. So they get everyone from different things. And that's, uh, we get Willie Nelson in this movie, which always blows my mind. And I forgot both times that he's not playing Willie Nelson. Yeah. Oh. If he's not playing Willie Nelson, you got to change something up. <laughs> change his clothes, change his hair. Like he looked, talked, acted, and made the exact same type of music that Willie Nelson makes. I thought he was Willie Nelson. I did too, until halfway through the movie, they kept calling him John, and they were like, John, get over there! Like, they called him John like six times, I'm like, uh-huh. and I looked it up, I'm like, yeah, he's playing John something. That is so funny. And I was like, what? Like, it, it didn't make any sense to me. I was so confused for the longest time why they needed a song. Like, I was like, yes, a song makes sense after an event has already happened. I guess they're being, like, proactive yeah, in that yeah. sense. That threw me off, but it, they really closed the loop on that one eventually, you know, throughout the movie, which yeah. I, I, I won't skip to. I, I guess that whole gag of a We Are The World song will never get old because, like, Flight of the Concords did it. Like, it's just yeah. it's always funny. It's always funny. It is very funny. <laughs> it's, I feel like SNL's made fun of it, like, 600 yeah. times, too, with different sketches. I also Though, felt- I will mention, I do love the original, like, the We Are The World music yeah. video. Love you, it. you don't love We Are The World, too? <laughs> okay. Wyclef and Justin Bieber, yeah, they're really gonna inspire me to change the world. I also found it funny that Jay Leno was in this, and he was also in Dave. <laughs> yeah, just, our through line. Yeah, just being like, yeah, I'm in a political movie. That's kind of crazy. Man, have you heard about this? How many cameos did he do? I feel like he just like filmed them all in one day. He's oh like, yeah. He's like, all right, we'll just. I, I wear the same fucking suit every night. We'll just we'll, we'll just do this. <laughs> what I liked one thing about Hoffman's performance that I saw him say in an interview was the main kind of takeaway he took from all the producers that he wanted to put in this movie was the way producers have this ability that no matter what's going on, no matter how bad everything is or what's going on, they always have to be outwardly optimistic because yes. it's like their thing. And so, you know, because he was like, the amount of times I've gone to like a premiere or something or seen a movie flop and then I see the producer and someone's like, how's the picture? And they're like, oh, it's terrific. You got to see it. It's so good. You're not, you're not going to believe it. You know, and he's just like, where does this optimism come from? Like, it's not real. Like, it's not like yeah. it's not, it's not the true feelings, but that's how they always sell everything thing and so he was like that was his main takeaway for his character where he's like yeah i just have to sell and you know it became the like uh 
this is nothing. Yeah, like that was his like This is a phrase. piece of cake. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is nothing. It's a piece of cake. And then he always has some story of some shit that that happened to him beforehand. That's even worse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, me too. I think I, I I found that very inspiring and for sure. I also love that everyone throughout most of the movie kept complaining that it had to be Albania for for the country that they mm-hmm. went to war with. And I just thought it was like to what I was saying with Robert De Niro, like he has to think of this all so fast. Like he came up with Albania over the course of one flight. And then now, you know, like Willie Nelson's character is like, I gotta rhyme this thing and yeah. and all this. And then I love uh, when they're all just arguing about it. And then he's like, does anyone know any Albanians? And someone's like, has anyone ever been to an Albanian restaurant? And someone's like, are there Albanian restaurants? And someone's like, well, they gotta eat. And like, <laughs> like, it's just like this whole argument. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Uh, and it's fine, the, the Jim, Bel- uh, Jim Belushi stuff with Albania. Because oh. I didn't even know, I just recently watched a John Belushi documentary. So I, I just like learned about his whole Albanian roots and his Albanian like dad and all that. So uh-huh. I, just, I thought that was funny to see that turn around now in this. Totally. But it all made sense. Like, as they were bringing this plan to life, I was like, yeah, Albania. Nobody, Americans don't know anything about it. Like, yeah. the country we don't know Especially about. Especially a pre-internet America. Uh, like, yeah. no one, you'd have to go out of your way to, to the library and pull out an encyclopedia or some shit to, to start learning about Albania if you really wanted to. Right. So there's going to be some people who, like, you know, scholars and stuff who know, but the average Joe isn't going to... Yeah. You can't just Google now, like, what do we know about Albania? You know, <laughs> and just start getting into it. You know, it's movies like this where I'm like, yeah, conspiracy theorists, I see I see <laughs> where you're coming from. Oh, yeah. See, movies like this, yeah, they're dangerous because, like, uh, some people can just look and be like, man, that's pretty smart, isn't that? Some people are like, I was right. There yeah. are fucking frog people and shit, you know? Because it comes from all of this brainstorming. They create a plan, and the next thing you know, they're filming this Albanian video where like showing the girl like escaping the bombs yeah. in the, her local town and then and we like, see all the editing yeah i thought you would appreciate this as an editor okay first of all yes yes but first and foremost kirsten dunce yep yes <laughs> <laughs> another win that was another marshal amazing point. i think if you look at the board i have four marshal points right now <laughs> but just the fact that you know they get her to sign this document which she has no idea what she's signing yeah but uh you know because in my mind and they attacked it right out from the get-go like people are going to recognize her like i just you know was having like how are they going to pull this off but like i don't know yes it works out eventually but it just got me thinking like how many like if they could formulate some sort of video like that some sort of propaganda thing I'm like i would I, fall for, like uh, yeah it's so frustrating also <laughs> you just reminded me too of like when we were when we were talking about dave and i was saying that i was surprised that more people weren't in on the lie i thought it was gonna be more like this where there were so many moving parts of just everyone has to be in on this lie mm. in order for it to work like like everyone on that set has to keep their mouth shut you Ex- know otherwise absolutely. they'll fucking get killed and so when it was dave when it was just the two people i was like oh i kind of i guess because i just this brain was in the back of my head this movie was in the back of my head without me even thinking about it uh-huh so i was like oh, i just thought it'd be more people yeah it was funny. totally but yeah that editing bay was impressive yeah when they're putting all How that able to pull up those backgrounds on the one because they have they have a whole library oh my god but i was really humored by the comedy in this scene in particular just i love the banter in producing and just someone wanting one thing and then you know having arguments about the creative process oh you've been through that yes (laughs) yes but also just 
you know, the fact that Dustin Hoffman keeps pushing for a cat and like the caretaker's like, yeah, but these dogs are cute. I don't know. Like just yeah. that whole scenario was hilarious. And then when they finally get down to it, the president calls and wants a white cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, freaking give him the white cat. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> when you know when to give up is just uh, it's so yeah. funny to me. Calico okay. There it is. We have a we have a small calico kitten, sir. Calico. What? The president wants a white one. He he wants a white one. A white. Let me talk to him. He's mobilizing the sixth fleet. Connie, can I please talk to him? He's mobilizing the sixth fleet. Why do I hate it when they start to meddle? Can we have a white one, please? He wants a white one. Thank you. Yeah, I remember this This scene was the one that stuck out to me the most when I saw it back in the day and that I've always remembered about this movie was... Because mm-hmm. uh, like I said, too, pre-1997, I've never really seen a scene like this where, especially just like the digital editing in general, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't widely... We weren't, again, we weren't doing it in our houses. So right. it was still a very novel thing to see like, oh, snap, that's how they like put something together, you know? <laughs> totally. I hope that... You know, the people who saw this movie don't think that you could just comp in a cat with from a Tostitos. No, bed. yeah, yeah, that's that's absurd. <laughs> that was that's ridiculous. <laughs> Someone had to like be cracking up when they were like, "All right, we'll give her a Tostitos bag." Yeah. <laughs> Why did they do that? <laughs> I think it was just because it's a comedy. Oh, it's just God. a funny visual, like this war war torn, like quote unquote Albanian girl, you know, running for her life holding Tostitos. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I wonder if it was like some weird back ended like ad placement deal. Oh oh no, I'm sure <laughs> Tostitos paid for that. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, I don't think that was free. Um but one little through line that we kind of glossed over was they uh throughout the movie they keep seeing re election ads for the current president on T V. Oh and it's the it's this political ad it's don't change horses midstream like you know why would you re-elect a new president <laughs> and every time it comes on like dustin hoffman is like physically disgusted by it like he's he just thinks it's like creatively bankrupt like just so lame and corny you know stuck in the past like he just always has something to say about it yeah and i just love every time he's just like it's offensive like, like you know like, like as a as a creative like person he's like this is offensive like i, I would never you know, yeah go. that was pretty so funny I thought that was good well eddie like my daddy always used to say and i live by it never change horses in midstream never change horses <laughs> sounds like a smart bet to me yeah always stick with a winner keep america working don't change horses in midstream on election day re-elect the president i looked into it so apparently don't change horses midstream was lincoln's re-election slogan oh really in the 1800s yeah and then it got reused again by fdr in the, in the 40s Whoa. and so it's like by using it in this it's like this guy is so stuck in the past like he has no idea how to look forward like he's literally using something that was originated in the 80s and then used again in the 40s or 18 sorry 1880s uh-huh. or whatever i don't know history. <laughs> <laughs> 1800s uh and then the 1940s so i just thought that was funny i I always thought they just made it up for this yeah i wasn't even bothered by it but the fact that stanley was so bothered by i feel like made me more annoyed by yeah i mean but really think about it as a political thing like it's basically like like why would you want to change anything let's just keep going you know yeah it's like it's not broken yeah like yeah there's problems but fuck it let's just come on why would you try something new 
It's usually, you know, like even even fucking Trump is like, keep America great. It's not just like, let's keep it going. You know, yeah. like you threw the word great in there to try to get people to you get know. excited. Like, obviously, I knew there was probably political campaigns since the beginning. But still, just to think like as long ago as Lincoln was running, it's still like you were doing slogans and I've probably <laughs> had a campaign team. And like, you know, you were still it was a goddamn popularity contest since the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> And the way we were talking about all these characters being so job obsessed and so job focused and always worrying about kind of PR and how things are going to spin and look. And uh, that part of it reminded me in the trio of uh, Thank You for Smoking a lot as well mm. of the way the with the cigarette company where everything was always just like a play. He was never like De Niro was never just himself. He was always working for the United States government. You know? Absolutely. So I just thought that was a cool little thing I noticed. I am really fascinated by anybody in PR. Like, who does this kind of PR work? You know what I mean? Like, the whole always having to be on your toes uh-huh. to ready to spin. Yeah, it's crazy. I couldn't imagine. I would never, like, with my personality, I just I could never do that job. I would just <laughs> be miserable all the time. But yeah, so like you mentioned earlier, we they do the We Are the World style song for. The Albanian. I don't even know what the. I go. Oh, no, it's for. It's for democracy. It's. It's. Uh-huh. It's hilarious. I've... Um. And then that is when we get. They get visited by the CIA. So it's kind of the first road bump. Mm-hmm. So far, everything's been going super smooth for their entire plan. Yep. And then the CIA, led by William H Macy, where they basically look into everything these people have been claiming that the Albanians brought a suitcase bomb into into canada it was on the border they were gonna sneak it into america and they're basically like this is all bullshit mm-hmm. and then i like Daniel just immediately starts spinning on these guys yeah and he thinks he won but i love that the cia kind of recognize exactly the type of people they're dealing with and the like the game they're willing to play because i love robert De Niro's line where he's like of course there's a war i saw it on tv you yeah. know like every time they're like there is no conflict he's like no i saw it on tv so i love that instead of taking the high road and trying to beat him they basically go on the low road with him and they play the exact same game that these hollywood people are playing which i like because it kind of shows how smart they are to adapt where they were like we could only beat these people by mm-hmm. putting our side on tv as well absolutely yeah, i thought that was a clever way to kind of take down De Niro and his plan yeah they totally bluffed and when they realize the cia has done that it's in the middle of them basically wrapping up the recording on their we are the world song and it's pretty funny how quick stanley's like we need another song <laughs> yeah he's just they, they start spinning immediately again and that's when they come up with the narrative where he, i love him he just sees it as another challenge everyone else yeah. gives up and he's like no no this is fine this is nothing and uh they come up with the whole narrative that even though the conflict is over they left one soldier behind yep and then they came up with the old shoe concept and then that that shit made me laugh all the recordings of good old shoe i guess i haven't really seen like i know willie nelson but i've never is he in other movies or other sh- i feel like he's in other stuff yeah because he's, he's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he was in Half-Baked the year after this. Uh, oh, we watched that. That's why I... Okay. That's why he's so fresh in my head. Yeah. Okay. Because when he tells him he needs a new song, his reaction was just so funny. Yeah. Like, that's why there's nothing about that performance that's, again, like I said, why not... Why isn't it Willie Nelson? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get why he's playing someone else. But yeah, so they basically beat the CIA in there <laughs> right back by, by giving the old shoe narrative um smh yeah (laughs) this is where i was confused about the old shoe but then you see what their plan was all along 
was to put that old shoe song in the archives for it to be then pulled out and aligned with this old shoe story. Yeah. Which was insane. I'm like, how do you come up with this? I know. It's, yeah, it's, it shows like the levels of po- the possibilities of these lies are almost endless, where you could just put it in the Library of Congress, have them lie about the date it was entered in, and then act like it was some old recording yeah. that, that existed forever. One of the parts about the Nero's character that always impressed me part of his plan is the way that they not only come up with these quick spins, but they anticipate the way the public's going to react to it. And then they even plan to use that as part of their advantage. So in the very beginning, they knew that if they just came out and said, if someone said, hey, I heard the president had an affair with an underage girl. And you go, no, there's a war in Albania. They're gonna, No one's going to believe you. Mm-hmm. But the way that they acted like they leaked a little bit of that information and then immediately told everyone to go into denial mode because then people are going to start speculating. Because if you deny something really hard, really fast, people are going to think you're lying. And so he let the public believe that they uncovered this lie that there's a war in Albania. And, On their own. Yeah, because then it made it, it would make it easier for them to believe it. Right. So it was the same thing with the old shoe where they literally had one of their staff members be like, when you're in conversation, literally say like, hey, I thought I remembered... There being this old folk song my grandpa told me about, something shoe. And then that would lead to someone looking into the Congress and finding it. So it's a lot smarter than and believe, more believable than if they just were releasing it and being like, oh, guys, there was somebody named Shu. And look, it's just like this recording, you know. So right. I thought it was a really smart way to have the public, quote unquote, figure it out. And, uh, and then yeah. in order to make it seem kind of... Like they're just they're thinking like five steps ahead. They're like, okay, this is where we want people to end. And these are the steps we're going to like create for them to do on their own. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah. And yeah, we get some good comedy with these songs as well. Uh, The old shoe. I love the kind of like the chorus of it where it says you might get into heaven with the soul of a good old shoe. Like, you know, the bottom the soul in your shoe. Oh, <laughs> <So>. nice. <laughs> but that was pretty hilarious. I missed someone. Um, and then even like, little, like they, they named the army troop that was in Albania, like the 303. And that's only because that's what time it was when, when they were figuring it out. He's like, we need, we need what time is it? Three, all right, it's the troop 303. And they wrote that whole song, like we are the men of the 303. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fucking I was great. just shaking my head at that one. So after the, the old shoe stuff takes over the, the whole country, basically, they throw all those shoes around the neighborhoods to kind of mm-hmm. drum up people thinking it's like a grassroots kind of supporting supporting this like, you know, this American hero. Yeah, this whole scene about, you know, everybody pitching in in their own way in this old shoe movement, again, made me question things that ha- are happening today. I'm like, is there like, are there troops that need to save? Like, I'm just... <laughs> I, again, I understand where conspiracy theorists are coming from because of movies like this. Yeah. Am I becoming a conspiracy theorist I on mean, the cast? You shouldn't because of a fake movie. That's probably the dumbest reason to become a conspiracy theorist. This is all made up bullshit. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding around. But the fact that they can then, you know, knowing that they have to produce a hero, call the Pentagon and ask them to produce someone who happens to have shoe in their name is insane. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, they're like Schumann, Schuster, Schumacher, like anything they can yeah. think of. And what a crazy bet to even think that there could be someone with that. You know, like yeah. how, <laughs> what are the odds? Well, that's what I don't really, I don't really understand 
exactly how that goes down in this movie because I don't think that Woody Harrelson because it's first they they ask him is there anybody like in the military who has that name and they say yeah and then they were like cool give us someone who could I well are we supposed to believe that there was a military guy named Schumann who Woody Harrelson actually was who was also a convict well I, I think they just took a convict and then they took an identity of somebody who died at war that's not how I took okay. it. Okay, I might be wrong because I don't no, know. It happened so fucking fast. Because the way that they called the Pentagon, they like asked them to connect them to any department that's there, yeah. which happens to include their prison oh, <laughs> department. Okay, yeah, that makes so sense. So I think they just did an overall search of all the departments at the Pentagon, and then yes, there was someone with shoe in their name, but he happened to be a convent yeah. at the military prison. So I think it was just somebody on the that side slacking. Yeah. Um, to of course our main character's dismay. So yeah, I think the rest of this movie, this movie just flows like scene to scene to scene to scene. So it's hard to be like, there's a spoiler. But I think let's just talk about the end of this movie in the spoiler section and move on. Yeah. So it kind of this is sort of the first time things start to go downhill a little bit for these guys. Because, kind of. he, because, yes, the CIA was a little bump on the road, but this is the first time where it sort of gets a little more out of their control than they'd like. Like when they start to fight with each other a little bit. Yes, it is the first time they fight with each other, but I don't know. I would still argue that because the CIA effectively told the entire country that the war they started was over. So mm-hmm. I think it was more than a bump in the road. Like That's outside true. of Dustin Hoffman, they were all throwing in the towel at, after that first. So I don't know if this is the first time things go wrong. I don't know. Maybe it's because I was personally optimistic that they could still turn it around at that point. <laughs> but this one was a little more out of control in the fact that Woody Harrelson's character is literally unstable. Yeah. <laughs> like, not only is he a convict, but he is seriously unstable. And a rapist. And a rapist. Yeah, who raped a nun, let alone Jesus Christ. a regular old person. L- literally the worst person they could get. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is the guy that, you know, America's going to be praising and having on talk shows and yeah. blessing him with all of these things. Yeah, it's another just kind of critique on kind of hero worship and and you know idolizing one of my notes was actually they need to send him to the dentist asap because americans will not trust someone with bad teeth i was about to say i'm so happy they gave him bad teeth i fucking (laughs) always takes me out of movies when there's supposed to be someone who has like a fucked up life and then they have this teeth that the movie star has Mm. and i never believe it i'm Mm -hmm. like you were in jail for 15 years and you have those pearly whites like i just don't think so and there's so many movies of like homeless people when they smile i'm just like i don't buy it Mm. so i love that his teeth were all fucked up like it was great but yeah so they're on the plane with this guy they they didn't even know he was going to be a convict until the last possible second when they're on the plane with them (laughs) that was mad shady yeah showed (laughs) they were like and here's the key to his cuffs (laughs) yeah exactly and like i literally i don't even remember what it was it was so innocuous but the neuro makes one comment to him that like he took the wrong way and then he immediately just gets unhinged Mm -hmm. uh we don't see what happens but then we just cut to basically he took the entire plane down (laughs) ahead of his crazy actions yeah and uh yeah this honestly it's i don't i don't really care for this turn of the plot i thought the the plane going down and the way they survived like i know it's a comedy and like it was played for laughs but to me it was the one time when the movie just went so cartoony that it's, it's not my favorite the way they were like, walking around after that plane crash, like they were, it was like a cartoon. Like 
nobody had a there was a broken bone there wasn't a piece like that's it was true just, and those pilots didn't make it right yeah like it was just so and i get it like it's a comedy and the whole point was the way that these like hollywood producers and political people are just like oh another obstacle blah, blah, blah. like this is crazy right but i don't know i think i would have found it more believable if he was just doing something crazy that made the pilots take the plane down or, or maybe he hurt one of the pilots but just the fact that it was like a a small plane that crashed from the sky and then they just walked away with no problem. It, it was too over the top that the rest of the movie didn't match it. I see. And therefore, I was just like, for me, it was like the least. It doesn't work at all. Ooh, I don't know. Andy's picking nits. Yeah, I'm picking this about movie. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not just mean and only scrutinize your movies. <laughs> and plus, I haven't seen this in 10 years, so I didn't even remember that that happened. Yeah. Like, even last night we were watching, I was like, the fucking plane crashes? I was like, <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I think that's very stupid and not that funny. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe you wouldn't even leave. Like, they, they didn't even have a scratch on them. Like, nobody was holding their arm. Nobody had, like, a little patch of blood on their forehead. Like, they yeah. literally just walked away as if Wiley Coyote gave them dynamite and it blew up and they wiped the soot off their jacket. I yeah. can see that. Yeah. 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 So I, it I, didn't bother me as much as it uh, bothered you, but I see where you're coming from. I just, like, you know, I mean, if, if you're going to be over the top, you got to you gotta establish it early on. I don't like when we have a grounded film for 80% of the time and then something so unbelievable happens where you're just like, like this right this isn't that world you know um and then from here they keep moving on they find this illegal immigrant who helps them out by taking them in is that the order i don't even remember exactly yeah they hitch a ride with him to like this gas station yeah yeah to the gas station and then there they immediately swear him as an american citizen because they didn't want the story that an illegal immigrant help the war hero (laughs) which is hilarious like that's another thing too like immigration is something that people fight about so much in this country and the way people covet like being an american citizen and don't let anybody in here and we can't just give anyone a green card like they literally just give anyone (laughs) a green card like it's just another thing where it's like to the people who are making important decisions and things like that they, these little arbitrary rules mean nothing to them like yeah. it's not it's the stuff that uh, americans fight so much to covet it's just like, yeah whatever fuck it just make them an american like right. it'll make the story better we also get woody harrelson seeing i guess the daughter or the i don't even I know can. of the gas station attendant yeah uh and we already know that he likes to rape nuns so he follows her off and even this, this is like the darkest thing that they make fun of, like oh, a joke out of in I the did movie. I like it. <laughs> and, and then we just see that it wasn't making fun of the rape, obviously, isn't funny. But the funny part was that the guy, we hear the gunshot off camera, and Dustin yeah. Hoffman runs over and he's like, Oh, he's dead. Oh, no, he's not dead. We're good. We're good. And then he hears another gunshot. He's like, Oh, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, What was the first gunshot about? Or I guess he was still limping around. Yeah, yeah, he probably just didn't. You, know, yeah. you don't die automatically. But we left that scene not even knowing if the lady was okay. Yeah, who we have no idea. That's uh, what I wanted to know. <laughs> and then, yeah, this comes down to the final spin that these guys put on it then where they think they're screwed again, but then they, they come up with this whole story of how he died in transit because, you know, selling the idea of a dead war hero is probably easier than an alive one. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this, like, rapist, psychopath, crazy person gets this, like, hero send-off. Yep. That everybody loves. I'm not even in the military or nobody who is, but I I was a little offended by the fact that this guy gets like a full service, yeah. you know? It's again, just like the citizenship. It's all bullshit. Like yeah. it's all just, it's all smoke and mirrors. Like it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with anything. Again, probably we get to another 
pretty tragic moment that is kind of just played for laughs once again. You know, the whole movie we've heard De Niro kind of telling people, anyone who says that they might talk about this experience, that, you know, their lives are in danger if that happens. And I don't know about you, but, like, I, like, it's not that I didn't believe him, but, like, he always said it so callously into everybody where I was, like, I don't know if he actually believes that, like, they'll just straight up kill you for saying this. Mm. But then that's when we see Dustin Hoffman's character start that Hollywood ego come into play where the president gets reelected and then he's watching it on TV and he's all proud of himself. And then the, all the news media sources basically <laughs> say that the reason he got reelected is from his strong ad campaign of don't change horses midstream which is the one thing the entire movie has been fucking driving Dustin Hoffman up a wall and that's where he just like basically loses it and says like fuck this I'm not letting them take the credit like like he's just like not this like terrible 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 fucking thing you know in another world I think that if he never saw this commercial and that specific news story he would have been all right oh yeah definitely definitely he doesn't necessarily say outright that he's like, I'm going right now. He's basically like, you know, someday when you tell this story. And, you know, no, Robert th- De Niro's th- like, you cannot tell this story. Yeah, that was earlier. But I think towards the end, he just keeps like screaming, I'm going to get credit and shit like that. Oh, yeah. I need the, I got to get yeah, the credit yeah. for this. Yeah. So he's, he's basically, and then that's when De Niro just looks at one of the Secret Service guys, gives him a nod, and, you know, that's the end of uh, fucking Hoffman. I did not think that anybody was going to die in this movie. No. <laughs> I think that about a lot of your movies, and I don't know why I don't just go in being like, at least two people are going to die, Masha. Every movie. Every movie. No matter what I pick. When he gives that nod to the Secret Service, I just realized then and there, I don't know why I didn't realize it earlier, that how cold Robert De Niro's character is. I mean, both of them. They they didn't have a genuine friendship. They just worked well together. Yeah. I don't think Robert De Niro has a single... I don't think his character has a single real relationship Mm -hmm. in his entire life. Like, I don't think he has anyone close to him because he can't tell the secrets of his job. Right. And everyone he works with is just... If they're not useful, they're not Mm -hmm. there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that's that. That part was cold blooded. And he went to his funeral. Goddamn it! Yeah, I did like the news coverage of the funeral. He was fifty-two or sixty-seven, depending on what news article you read yeah. or something. <laughs> I don't was, know. That was pretty great. I, I I just feel like people in Hollywood have the darkest humor. It's so like they're so tortured. It's so funny. I mean, yeah, this is a, it's a very cynical movie. So yeah. I think this. The humor is not for everyone in this. Like, it's a very kind of no light at the end of the tunnel type of humor. Like, yeah. we're all fucked, so let's all laugh about it type type of thing. Mm-hmm. Which I guess, I don't know. When I said earlier, it might say more about me because now I find it funnier than I did back then. So mm. I guess maybe I was just more optimistic when Damn. I was younger. <laughs> now I'm just like, yeah, what else is fucking new? <laughs> of course they're fucking lying. That's so sad. <laughs> like, yeah, and that's pretty much where the plot wraps up. So uh, why don't we have a little fun of some best worst? Oh, man. Best worst original song. That's funny. I don't know how you didn't come up with that one. I don't know, I don't know either. Because there were only like three. Yeah, there were only three. <laughs> I think the 303 one might be the best one. <laughs> that was pretty good. It, it caught me off guard the most. So whatever. I'll give it to them. That's funny. I picked the old true one for my favorite. I just the, those lines were hilarious, and then like the digital degrading they did on it, I thought it sounded pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like it almost it didn't quite sound like a thirty song, but I definitely it was almost there. Yeah. And my worst, I did pick the "We Are the World" one. It was hilarious and worked in the movie, but I'm just thinking if it was a real song, uh-huh. it just seems 
like the message of we are the world versus the message of this song is so opposite it just seems like it wouldn't have worked if we really lived in this world uh like we are the world was supposed to be about like coming together and loving humanity no matter what and this was about like stomping out people who don't like democracy like it was a this was a very like pro-military pro like anti everyone else type of song so i felt like it was the opposite message of we are the world i don't think they were trying to be we are the world they were trying to make a song that complimented their pr stunt yeah but i think we are the world exists in the world of this movie so they could they had to have known that they were building off something that existed already got it I'm going to choose that as my worst, but for, like, different reasons. Right. Um, I just think that it didn't, like, even though it did serve their purpose, I don't think it really made that much sense. And I think that in terms of, like, thinking about the realistic aspects of the making of the song and the purpose of the song, it just seemed the least realistic to me. Mm-hmm. Like, the people involved, yeah, too, yeah. you know, like... I didn't understand like what their stance. That's kind of that's another, yeah. That was another thing I was thinking of. Where like you know, generally people in the music industry would probably be more left leaning and probably wouldn't make such like pro military, pro nationalism, yeah. pro like old school American values, right? Type of song. I also now that you think now that I'm thinking of it, it's funny that Dustin Hoffman's character you know wants the credit so badly for producing this but like when it comes to the musicians they're like yeah i wrote a good song you know like yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> no stance on that it's like sure it's i'll write funny. a song <laughs> <laughs> making music man all right what's your next one mine is best worst pr stunt all right that was my uh, second one i figured that might be the i case. put i put spin like best worst spin oh, yeah. put on an event, but same shit. spin stunt yeah my best is the, all the songs yeah. i just think it's harmless you know, yeah, you're making a song to sort of like get people to feel something, but you're not, you know, affecting anyone really in a bad or good way. Yeah. I don't know. It yeah. just seemed the least harmless. I, I'll agree with that. I think music can affect people and some people take that shit real seriously, but in the grand scheme of everything they did, it's one of the least harmful ones. We did it op- opposite as we often do, where <laughs> my best was like most effective and yours best was like least effective because <laughs> it was like the best because it didn't hurt people. And yeah. mine's like, well, th- they wanted to hurt people. So uh, <laughs> the best. Well, so my best was literally the very first lie of making up the war and mainly because of just how expertly they did it. And you know, I mentioned this earlier with the way that they made it seem like it was a secret that they that slipped out that they didn't want. And then once it did slip out. Like they, yeah, like I said, they made the American people think they figured it out, right? Which made it like seem very legitimate. So I was like, in terms of an effective PR stunt, that's how you do it. Where mm-hmm. you they they saved their own skin, but they made it think it was the other people's idea, so that way it would never really be traced back to them. Yeah, which was brilliant. So that was my favorite, that was my best one. Yeah, we should have laid out how we are approaching yeah. this one. Because... I was putting it in the shoes of I'm Robert De Niro. What was the uh... best? What was my most effective one and least effective one? Yeah, I framed it as these are bad people. Like, what's the... <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, so, fair enough. All right, so what's your worst best? It, exactly you what... what you said. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that moment of creating a war. Because it hurt the most people? Yep. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, that's great. My worst was the final one of uh, saying that uh, old shoe died in transport when they were getting him out of albania uh-huh. um only because before that point we already saw that people in the media and the other uh craig t nelson the president can the presidential candidate 
were already kind of suspicious mm-hmm. and saying like, when are they going to produce Schumann? Like they've been talking about this guy, but we haven't seen him. Like the war's over. Where is he? So the fact that they were all like, this was the first time people were tr- starting to sniff some bullshit. And then in the last second, it'd be like, Oh, we were bringing you Schumann, but he died. Like yeah. I would feel like that would be the easiest one for people to start poking holes in to then be like, wait, I think you guys, we never even saw this guy once. Like, you know what I mean? So totally. I thought that was their worst spin because it was the easiest that could be suspicious. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. But I do have to give credit to Dustin Hoffman's character. Where he was like, no, you can't show the old shoe before the election. You yeah, gotta wait till after. Exactly. Like it's a tease. Yeah. Still smart. <laughs> just, I understood it. I was just upset that I understood everything he was saying. Yep. <laughs> even like, remember yeah. early earlier on when he's like talking about like all right act one we're gonna introduce the war act two and after was like we don't need an act two and he's like oh oh it's a teaser he's like yeah yeah we're making it and he like to his pretty he's like hey we're making a teaser like, like yells out <laughs> god damn it yeah so i don't have any other ones those are my only two best words cool cool beyond the credits sure so uh, my beyond the credits is uh, nothing changes and it only gets worse <laughs> and uh, it leads to things like the internet and YouTube and fake news and Alex Jones and the 2016 election <laughs> and Donald Trump and <laughs> flat earthers and COVID deniers and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, and et cetera, Robert and De Niro's Karens car- and <laughs> yeah. uh, Conrad inspired a generation of <laughs> bullshitters. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, even just, yeah, everything from the way we saw the media react to the 9-11 bombings and all the anti-Muslim stuff we had for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's just like this movie could be applied to so much to the point where since it might be on the credits where it's boring as nothing changes, I was uh, in the if they're like sequel idea type things where we could do it with just De Niro, but if Hoffman's character didn't die at the end of this movie... I almost would have loved that if, like, every five to seven years we got another movie with these two characters <laughs> doing this with a different... That's pretty fun. ...like, thing. Yeah. So, you know, and they could either be reactive movies or just f- more what-ifs like this one. But, you know, maybe something to do with terrorism attacks, you yeah. know, and, and, that, and then maybe something to do with social media and Twitter and WikiLeaks and fucking Hillary's emails. Like, you know, like every five or six years, these guys come in and we get a new movie. Totally. And like, it's always, everything's different. Like, I don't even want continuity. I don't even want a lot of continuity between each movie. Like, I just want to see them in a completely different scenario, figuring out how to spin this and lie to the American people. Totally. So that's what I would have, I would have loved the series out of this. And I agree with you. I would have liked if Dustin's character lived because I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there. Like, I, if, if I were to, think of any beyond the credits in the segment it kind of died when he died you know yeah yeah (laughs) and Um, yeah and i I will say for myself too i actually think it works better for this movie that he does die i think it makes it a better story to to really drive home how dark and fucked up this world is so i'm not saying i don't think i don't think the movie's worse that he died i'm just saying if we were to franchise it out it'd be easier if he was alive i agree i agree (laughs) is it weird that i'm a fan of just characters living beyond just the movie and world that they're in like i love the blending of worlds and i i didn't really watch scandal all the way through i kind of always trail off on chandra rhymes series because they just i never know if they're ever gonna end so i kind of just give up but i would have loved to see like conrad in an episode of scandal somehow like because she i don't know if you know the premise of that show but she's sort of like that pr she's she's basically like a conrad but like a better 
good kind. Yeah. Um, and she has an affair with the president and all this stuff. Like, I, I would have loved to see him, like, pop in as this character, um, sort of, you know, in that world um, and see how they played off of each other as both, like, PR spinsters. No, no, I like that idea of like characters just showing up again in other worlds. Yeah. Or like similar worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be pretty cool. But anyway, I didn't, like I said, I I would have just loved to see more of Stanley in a a more beyond the credits um, and just seeing like whatever, what else he could tap himself into. And I think that him and Conrad and Winifred played off of each other like as a trio very well. Mm Mm-hmm. I actually would have liked to see more of her in this movie too. Like what is, I guess she really worked solely for the president, right? Like she was the only one who wasn't really a free freelancer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like, I feel like a lot of times she was there to be just the voice of the president because Uh. we never, like I said, we never really see or hear from him. So she's always on the phone and says what he's, you know, like what's coming from his side of this. Got it. But yeah, I I just I I love that we don't know a lot about Conrad. (laughs) I want to know more about him, but at the same time, I'm like, it's brilliant that we don't. What exactly do you do for the (laughs) for the present? (laughs) So anyway, that's not really an answer, but (laughs) nice. That's my answer. I like it. So much. Wait, but before you ask me, I want to ask you because this is your first time seeing it in a long time. Do you still love this movie? Uh, yes, I do still love this movie. I definitely, you know, there are things, I don't think it's perfect by any means. I think it moves at a very good pace, but there are just some story stuff where I do feel character takes a backseat to the point that the movie's trying to make. Mm. And we don't necessarily get, like, Robert De Niro doesn't really go through any kind of arc in this movie. Yeah. He's, he's the same exact person he is in the beginning that he is at the end. Pretty much the same with Dustin Hoffman. So I think this movie does kind of not fail, but it's just a little bit weaker in the kind of character department in terms of kind of starting somewhere with someone. Like we don't really have an outsider. We don't really have someone we can relate to. Mm-hmm. Like I love the point the movie's making and I love the idea of the movie and all the stuff they're showing you is super interesting and super like, holy fuck. Right. Um, but yeah, it's not quite, it's not like one of my favorites of all time because yeah, I do think premise and the idea of the movie take precedence over kind of like the story sort so to speak but that outside of that i still think it's fucking hilarious i think it's super poignant i think it's worth watching i think it's very smart i think it's very sharp i think it's incredibly well acted so i like almost everything about it but yeah if, if i'm being honest with myself there are parts about it that, that hold it back for me being like this is like flawless like it's not flawless by any means cool that's what i feel but when choosing it for you, I said in the beginning, I mean, it's no lie that I mostly picked it because of, A, we're doing kind of inauguration government-based movies, and then Dave just felt so similar in terms of the lies of the, you know, lying to the American people and mm-hmm. conspiracies and all this stuff. I just felt like they were a great companion piece. But taking Dave out of the equation, all the things we mentioned earlier, um, you, I know you love movies that have real big casts of stars like you just love when someone just pops up for a minute whether or not they're famous at the time or later in life they get famous because you know you can't always predict that but you know like david keckner it wasn't holy shit we got david keckner for the scene it was let's hire this guy and then (laughs) later he became famous yeah but yeah i knew you would enjoy that your general love of kind of fast moving political like political intrigue type stories i know exists like you loved house of cards for the majority of its run you've 
enjoyed some Aaron Sorkin things. I know you watched some stuff. You mentioned that you just watched that show Industry. I know it's not exactly the same thing, but I've kind of put Succession in the same category. Mm. And I just know that's like a genre you you like. And you've literally mentioned you love the walk and talk before it just started. So <laughs> so when, they, when they're walking down the hallway talking, I just knew it was going to get get me some martial points. I thought you would really enjoy the song parodies, especially the We Are The World one. I, th- I knew it was going to get some laughs out of you. And I know it's not, it's a probably the sense of humor was a little darker than you normally enjoy laughing at. But I just think with the world we're living in today and the way just social media and, and the news and everything is just so muddled and it's hard to even figure out what we're looking at. I thought you would appreciate to see people who were, were noticing that trend 25 years ago. Mm. So, yeah, I just thought, you know, and, and good acting, you know, it's just got really good acting, but everybody just really comes in with a nice performance. So I just was hoping uh, with all those things. And maybe riding off the high of just watching Dave, <laughs> that you would love it. So I can make all the speculations in the world, but there's only one real way to find that out. And that is to ask you, Masha, do you love what I love? I love it. So, Andy, I think you bring up some cool and relevant points as to why you think i would love this movie Uh i do love political dramas i guess i i I feel like there's a part of me that is so fascinated by the power of manipulation which i think is really what i i'm into of course yeah yeah. (laughs) um i love an ensemble cast and that's the word i was looking for like you love it when people are together (laughs) working as actors ensemble ensemble yeah i love an ensemble cast um i think there's a lot of power there i guess in a way it just sort of reminds me of like a theater piece some ensemble right but yeah this movie i had no idea what to expect coming into it i think that i honestly think it was crazy like i can't believe somebody wrote this script you know what i mean like it's just one of those ones that i'm like i can't believe it exists yeah um, but when it comes down to it, I I think I really like this ah, film. There it is. Uh, no, come on, Melissa. I really like this film, but I will. I have to say that I love Dustin Hoffman's character. Yeah. So I'm coming in, coming out, not really loving the film. I can't really necessarily say that I love it, but I do love Stanley. Like I think that he's one of the my favorite characters that I've ever seen. Whoa. <laughs> like I. Whoa. I, I and I think it's just because I've never really seen something about a producer like this. Yeah. Like, I've never really seen, like, the perspective of a producer just wanting the credit for what they've done and sort of just his outlook. And I, I, I think it was a little relatable, too, because, you know, when you're working in this industry, too, you kind of have to be optimistic about a lot of things. Yeah. Like, if a problem is thrown at you... Nobody wants to work with the person who just complains and never gets anything done. Exactly. They want to work with the person who takes it and it's like, all right, this is how we're going to solve this problem. Yep. And I think that's what I really liked about that character. And I even wrote a note to myself like, this is nothing. It's a piece of cake. I'm going to write that on a post-it and put it like on my computer screen <laughs> to like inspire me. You yeah. know, like I just thought that his character is pretty cool. So I, I do appreciate you bringing on the cast. I think it works well with, you know, a great pairing with Dave. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of my stance on it. Hey, I'll take it. I couldn't get you out of the movie, but I gave you, I guess, one of your favorite characters of all time. Yeah, he's so. pretty awesome. <laughs> he's pretty hilarious. Yeah, no, he's very funny. <laughs> and uh, my first Dustin Hoffman movie. Exactly. 
Okay, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have the time, take a moment to rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. And I hope you love what I love. <laughs>